0: At the end of the day, what what air carbon is, is it's this material that can replace plastic, but it's plastic free, it's natural, and it's carbon negative. Um, it was really easy to do. It took about 18 years.
1: <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Age of Plastic podcast, an environmental podcast with me, Andrea Fox, just your average consumer trying to be more sustainable. We touch on everything from plastic to basically everything else, because everything's interconnected. On this series so far, we've talked plastic-free tableware, fashion, e-waste, PPE, and even gold. This is your last episode for the series, so our last eco-life hack on the way, and our Last guest for this series so far. What if everything that looked like plastic wasn't? What if it was something better? Better in that it was truly a biodegradable material and a product that wasn't just carbon neutral but carbon negative, in that it takes harmful greenhouse gases out of the atmosphere in its creation. California based New Light Technologies have spent more than a decade developing this revolutionary material called air carbon which uses greenhouse gas as a feedstock to create a meltable carbon negative material that can be used to replace plastic, leather, fibres and more and as a natural material Air carbon contains no synthetic plastics, PLA, synthetic glues, requires no food crops for production and is home compostable, soil degradable, ocean friendly and degrades naturally if it ends up in the environment. That's the kind of sentence that gets us excited on this podcast, right? We talk a lot about the usefulness of plastic on this podcast, but that it is causing way too many issues when it ends up in the environment. So I think you'll be able to tell. I'm pretty excited to bring you this episode. Today, I am very excited to be talking to Mark Herremer, co-founder and CEO of New Light Technologies. Mark, thank you so much for joining me from New Light Technologies on the Age of Plastic podcast.
0: It's great to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So talk us through air carbon.
0: Well, air carbon is this really beautiful molecule. It's um, the, the technical name for it is pHB. And um, pHB is this really boring-sounding acronym, but really cool material. Um, Almost all known life makes this, and um, humans make it. We're making it right now. It's in our blood. Um, Trees, whales, algae, you name it, they all make it. Um, And it seems like uh, you take any form of life, and if you look hard enough, you can find it. They think that it was uh, part of the early earth soup, about 2 billion years old. And most organisms make it as a way to store energy. Um, and specifically as a way where if, if conditions are more challenging, we make it cause it's a higher concentration form of energy. So when you, in order to get, uh, to get more energy into things, you sort of, you, uh, one way that nature does it is it sort of stacks things. And so you get more packing density. Um, and the reason why that's important is what that means is in order to melt it, you have to add more and more temperature to it and so what what formed over time was this substance where if you extract PHB from wherever it's made um, it's meltable and so we discovered uh, a while back that there are microorganisms throughout nature including in the ocean that eat greenhouse gas methane or co2 as their food source and they grow and one of the things they make inside their cells is PHB. and when you pull it out um, you can purify it into a fine white powder, and then you can melt it. And because you can melt it, now you can shape it into different parts and pieces effectively as a replacement for plastic. But the big difference is plastic is synthetic, doesn't occur in the world, uh, in nature outside of you know human activity. And because of that feature, that synthetic feature, nature doesn't understand it. It doesn't have the, the, the tools to break it down and, and consume it like a nutrient. PHB is fundamentally different because it's made in every ecosystem on earth. If it ever ends up in nature, nature knows exactly what to do with it and will break it down like a nutrient. And so now what you have is um, a material that can replace plastic, um, but go away if it ever ends up in the environment. Um, and the other thing is when it's made in nature, um, by virtue of, you know, being formed from CO2 or, or methane, that's a carbon negative process when it happens in nature. And we do the same thing. So we, we use microorganisms from the ocean, uh, we use renewable power, and we use greenhouse gas, we feed them to these bugs, they we call them bugs, they they make air carbon. Um, and it's a carbon negative process. And so At the end of the day, what what air carbon is, is it's this material that can replace plastic, but it's plastic free, it's natural, and it's carbon negative. Um, It was really easy to do, took about 18 years.
1: (laughs) I was going to say, we've came up with this idea at Princeton, I remember reading. So this is technology you've been working on for quite some time, right?
0: It's it's the only thing I've ever done in my my adult life, and and I now have quite a few gray hairs. So that's a, a <laughs> all point.
1: I've ever done is radio and podcasts. So you're winning, Mark. So yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, and I wanted to ask about your inspiration for this. Like, how did you think? Hmm, there might be something in this.
0: Um, I guess there's a couple couple tracks here. The first one was I got really sick my, my junior year in college and um, spent about a year just struggling. I lost a ton of weight, um, saw a lot of different doctors. Eventually, they told me I had internal bleeding. And the scary part was no one knew what was going on. Turns out uh, it was celiac. Um, but back then, it was highly underdiagnosed. So in, in the process of trying to figure out what was going on, I was doing a ton of research And um, one of the uh, lovely symptoms of celiac is your digestive system sort of falls apart. And so I came across in the midst of this research phase, this newspaper article about um, methane from cows and um you know we all kind of like learn about this but it was talking about potential solutions so of course it caught my eye um, of
1: course cow burps are always fun to read about just,
0: just <laughs> riveting um well that was the first thing so i didn't know that that the methane was actually burps um so i guess 95 percent burps um and then the second thing was it gave a, a number and that number was 600 liters burped per cow per day and so I found that very fascinating because we talk about carbon emissions in such a broad way. And well, here's 600 liters. Okay. Well, how much value is in 600 liters? And if you do the math, just, just based on, you know, we, people pay for methane, the value of that was about $20 per cow per year. So if you have a thousand cow farm, that's $20,000 in value into the air. So, the second vein where this kind of then uh, comes together is I, I have always been really interested in this idea of let's stop shouting at each other and find what we agree on. And, and sometimes um, market driven solutions kind of fit that bill. So when I was in college, I, I looked at um, my senior thesis was on looking for a market driven solution to reducing world hunger. Uh, what are those places where there is that convergence where people can actually make more more money, but it but it lifts people out of out of poverty. So it sort of drives itself. So when this day happened, when I came across this newspaper article, um, and I believe it was June 7th, 2003. So we just passed the 18 year anniversary.
1: <laughs> you kept the diary entry. Oh,
0: absolutely. <laughs> Amen. Um, and uh Um, so I thought, you know, everyone's talking at least where they were, they were talking about burying carbon or taxing carbon. And it's all about like what people should and shouldn't do. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but what it has resulted in is a lot less action than we would have wanted. And so the idea was, well, wait a minute. Um, if we just looked at this as value and we, and we captured and we used it thus to make something useful, couldn't we create a consumer driven solution? to reducing the amount of carbon in the air, where we're all participating. If we could make products that replace what's currently out there with carbon capture products, then we're part of the solution just by virtue of going about our day. So the idea was, okay, let's figure out how to do this. It turned out that um, I called up a buddy of, uh, of mine, a high school friend. He was at Northwestern studying biomedical engineering. I said, hey, I, I think there's a interesting thing here. Um, shouldn't take too long. You wanna, you wanna give this a shot. <laughs> so. So we got started um, and we discovered that we really actually weren't the first people to have the idea um, of feeding greenhouse gas to microorganisms that could turn it into a useful material, but what had held the industry back. and, And this is, I think, really relevant to the overall plastics discussion in general, what had held the industry back from a, from sustainable alternatives. And this, this space in particular was price and performance. In other words, you could do something interesting on the lab scale or small scale But unless you had something that consumers could afford and that worked really well, it just wasn't gonna scale. And so we spent the next 10 years um, going from lab to pilot all in stealth mode, um, really kind of fighting to figure out the technology and, and most specifically how we could get the price and performance to a point where it could compete with plastic and thus be able to really scalably replace it.
1: And where are you at with that now?
0: Well, that was uh, from 2003 to 2013. And in 2013, we really had a breakout year. Um, we scaled to, we kind of came out of stealth mode. And then uh, as part of that, there was a lot of demand for our product. And we said, that's great. Unfortunately, we, we're in a converted car garage and you know, uh, a, a lab line or a pilot line built from Home Depot and Google. So um, it's gonna be hard to supply very much material. And so, like
1: all good startups, that what's that's what they want. You know, you're in a garage, and then someone's like, "Yes, I'll take ten thousand units." Right, uh.
0: because you're in a garage, and and otherwise we wouldn't have been interested. Uh, actually, I, I didn't realize it was a garage until um, after we moved out, and someone said, do "You missed the missed the garage." I said, "What do you mean?" And uh, it was this building, the
1: lab. Well, yeah, yeah. It was,
0: well, our, it was our universe, or cave, or whatever you want to call it, but. Um, but it was built in the 1950s and 40 feet away from it was a mirror image, uh, the building, and it was designed for cars to be able to pull in. So picture a long skinny building where cars would just pull in and have their maintenance. So it was, it was a, it was a car garage, but we converted it into our Willy Wonka biofactory. factory. Um, so in any case uh, that wasn't enough to fulfill customer demand. So we started looking around, we discovered that, our technology had become simple enough where we could convert existing facilities, so that's what we did in 2013. We founded an existing facility in Central California, and we scaled up from roughly 10 foot tall reactor to about 50 foot tall reactor, um, and uh, and that was a that was a really pivotal moment for us, um, and also an emotional one. After working on something for 10 years to see it finally work at that scale was um, it was really special. But we so we showed that we could operate this tech at commercially relevant scale. And also we finally had enough material to start to introduce products into the market. So since 2013, we've been introducing different products, showing that we could replace everything from polypropylene to polyethylene, to TPU and chairs and packaging and cell phone cases. Um, That led to increasing demand for the material, which enabled us to finance bigger and bigger production facilities. And all of that culminated in last year. Um, So last year we brought online Eagle 3, which is our first fully integrated large commercial scale air carbon production plant. Uh, It's here in Southern California. And um, it's a a major moment for us because it's kind of like our solar panel. From here on out, we just add more of these Eagle 3 units. and, And with that, we can really start to move closer to our goal, which is replacing plastic at global scale.
1: Let's get into these, uh, the Eagle 3. I think it's the factory, which you can see a picture of on the website, if I'm correct. Yeah. Talk me through it. Is it these bugs? Could we see them un- to our eye? And is it bugs and seawater in a tank?
0: Yeah, that, that's basically it. And the answer is, is yes and all that. You can, in fact, see them. We have a, a viewport on the side. You can kind of see them bouncing around. But basically, it's like, um, think of it like a slice of the ocean. So you've got a, a tank. It's about 50 feet tall, about 10 feet wide. And we fill it with saltwater. And then into that salt water, we add in these naturally occurring microorganisms from the ocean. Um, and then into that, we feed air and greenhouse gas that bubbles through there. Um, we've got a big mixer, it's kind of like a blender and it blends all that up. And so you have a big frothy solution in there. And that's what the bugs like. So they they eat the gases. Um, they like to operate at roughly jacuzzi temperature. So we've got a big cooling tower on the side, and keeps them at the temperature they like. And so they just grow and grow and grow. And, and, um, as they're doing that, they, they're also filling their cells with, with this material, um, air carbon. And then once they're done, we then harvest them inside of our building. And we push them through a, a high pressure filtration process. And what that does, is it separates the microorganism biomass from the polymer. We dry that, it turns into a, a fine white powder, and then we melt that and we can chop that into, into pellets. Um, Once we've got the pellets, then we can use existing uh, equipment that's otherwise used for plastics. Um, So we're now on site making straws. So we extrude that and then cut it and you've got a straw. Um, We we injection mold cutlery and we also mold um, sheet that we can use to replace uh, leather and all that we do on site. So basically you've got gas in and then you've got product coming out and uh, been doing it a long time. and It's still pretty cool to see.
1: Yeah, I bet. It sounds amazing. And I suppose you've touched on um, sort of, you know, jobs and economy and trying to do things to lift people out of poverty. But we talk about decarbonising the economy. In a way, could these factories replace, you know, people who are currently working in oil and all those sort of industries that we know to keep climate change down, we need to move people away from, but we also need to find jobs for?
0: You know, we're actually already doing that. Um, There was a plant that was going out of business last year. um, And they were, um, they were previously doing oil based plastics, um, specifically in the foodware space. And as part of a number of things happening from transition to paper straws, but also, uh, as part of COVID, they were going, they were they were leaving and, um, what we did is we went in and we, we were able to access a bunch of their equipment that we could then use to run air carbon. And we also hired a n- number of their people. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I, see that as kind of an interesting and, and maybe cool indicator for, you know, a transitioning economy, um, from, you know, oil-based non-degradable synthetic products to carbon capture natural materials. Um, so. Yeah, I mean that—that that is our hope. Our hope is that, in the same way that solar has kind of reached a tipping point where it's starting to really grow almost as fast, if not faster, than other sources of energy, what if we could do the same thing on natural materials? Where, you know, right now it's so sad, and you know this better than anybody. But people talk about, "Wow, it's, we're you know we're, we're finally getting our our arms around how bad plastic is," but and that's true. But the reality is, plastics production is not. Not only is it not plateauing; it's actually accelerating, um, and and yeah. It's, yeah. it's scary, but it's but it's the truth. And um, what we need is where that industry, the materials industry, can 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 look at a natural material and say, "Okay, this is something that can allow me to be more successful, whether that's you know margin or performance or market share." And we want to get to that tipping point. And, uh, and we're working towards that.
1: As you say, plastic, such a blight. I think more of it's been made in the past decade than the hundred years before. So, like you say, it's not slowing down and we need it to desperately. Um, and this is also a brilliant product because it's carbon neutral at the same time, right?
0: Well, actually, it's carbon negative. Um, so, for instance, with our, with our straw, I think uh, the latest numbers are around negative 30 grams of CO2E um, wow. per straw produced. And so what's interesting is what what we're able to do is when we talk to our customers that we can quantify, well, you know, if one store switches over to our straws and cutlery, what are the carbon savings associated with that? Um, uh, but it does depend on feedstock, whether that's methane or CO2. So we range from carbon negative to roughly carbon neutral. But either way, if you can, if you can take the carbon footprint away from uh, what otherwise would be a plastic product that... Generally emits roughly two to three times its weight in carbon. Um, that's a that's a great thing. And, and really, at the end of the day, that model looks closer to nature, right? The, a tree grows a leaf, falls on the ground. That carbon comes back out. Tree uses it again, and 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 that's a great template for us to work towards.
1: Yeah, it's very circular. And I suppose when you're talking about methane and injecting carbon dioxide, how does one get that into your Eagle Three factory?
0: Um, so we've, we've taken greenhouse gas from a number of places. Early on, we were focused on dairy farms. So we'd work with digesters at, at dairy farms, um, capture that and, and deliver that to our facilities. Um, we've worked with food waste digesters. And this is a really interesting space um, because you can't talk about plastics without focusing a lot Talking on recycling. Yeah, and, <laughs> yeah. And, and why recycling doesn't work, in a lot of, st- in in many cases, food is a big big part of the problem. Um, uh, this material breaks down in anaer- anaerobic digesters, so and we can talk about, but it 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 affords a very interesting new way to recycle through greenhouse mm. gas, kind of the same way nature does it. Um, We've also taken methane from landfills, which is a big source of of carbon emissions. Um, Right now we're working with an abandoned coal mine system where there's a company that's come in and captured uh, methane that's been leaking and they capture it, clean it up, put it into the grid, and then we buy that off the grid. Um, On the CO2 side, we worked with a company who is taking CO2 emissions from an ethanol plant, and then they captured that and then delivered it to us. So we've, we've taken greenhouse gas from a number of places our primary focus today is actually around methane because it's that much more impactful as a heat-trapping gas relative to co2 so um that that's really where we're uh where we're focused
1: yeah it's it's much better for the environment to take out methane it's much worse for there to be more methane in the environment correct rather than co2 so yeah that completely makes sense yeah yeah
0: it just it just is that much more effective as a heat-trapping gas so um given the same Time and materials might as well be in methane.
1: Yeah, and I love that it came back to the cows for you as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sure did. It sure did. And hopefully, you know, keeps uh, returning. If if we're fortunate enough to be successful enough, I'd love our corporate campus to have plenty of cows someday.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask as well. You've touched on straws. I think we're okay to talk about this because it has appeared in the press. But you're currently trialing straws with a big company in the U.S., Shake Shack.
0: Yeah, yeah, we're in um, six different locations now in Los Angeles, Miami, and New York, um, and really looking forward to to what's next with them.
1: Yeah, and I think some U.S. listeners to this may be able to find your products in Target. Is that correct?
0: Absolutely, we're we're right now. We're in every Target across the U.S. Um, and and I can wow. tell you that both of those walking into Shake Shack for the first time and being handed an air carbon straw and and knife forks uh, spoon set it was one of the coolest days of my life I mean you know
1: that was one great milkshake I imagine or whatever that, you had inside that was, that there. was the,
0: the tastiest lemonade I had ever had <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah I mean you know number one just the amount of time that that went into it um, it's funny because you know the, the customers there well here's another straw or fork you know is it that big of a deal of course i know what was behind it but the other cool thing was just to see it having impacted society where we're now you know what was so long just a dream you walk into a fast food chain and they're no longer using plastic thank god mm, <laughs> um yeah and so that was a really cool moment and then similarly with target you know to be able to um to have that in those stores and be able to access it um that was great
1: I've always wanted to do something for the age of plastic that will be helpful to you. As of this series, you can now go and download a template from my website that will have a handy form you can copy and paste into an email to any company who you want to ask to use less plastic. It could be your favourite supermarket, fashion brand, your local cafe. This is an easy copy and paste, fill in the gaps that mean it's relevant to the business you want to contact. Easy. More details at iamandreafox.co.uk As I said before we came on, absolutely love this the idea of your company and i was like i wish i could invest in this don't have any money but i wish i could invest in it but one of the things i wondered though because it looks so good it looks so like plastic are you ever concerned that maybe some of air carbon could get into the recycling systems and what would be the effects of that
0: yeah for sure i mean the the recycling world is a, is something that's just a mess in my view um you know we're we're now coming to find out that you know a very small portion of, of the world's plastic is actually recycled. I've seen estimates that range as high as 15%, as low as 9%. And then of the stuff that is actually recycled, a very small amount is not downcycled. I I think it's like one or two or 3%, something like that actually sort of stays in circulation. Everything else is recycled once and then it's kind of done. Um, And so what that means is we just all have to recognize this thing is busted and so we need we need to look at at new pathways so um whenever you introduce a new material it 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 tends to not you know those materials don't play well with others that's true with all plastics too so what number one doesn't mix with number two, doesn't mix with number three, they all- Seven
1: you know. and yeah, yeah. Some aren't recyclable at all, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, so you can't, you can't mix PET with, with, with polyethylene and have everything be okay. Um, so anytime you have a new material, it has to be separated uh, in order to make everything happy. But I think that you know, you could do that and you could set up a way, ways to, to make sure the air carbon's adequately separated, but it doesn't really address the bigger problem, which is why is it already not working? And in my view there's there's two big reasons. One we're not really deeply incentivized. I mean right now it's altruistic. Um but number two is it's kind of confusing, right? Like when you go to the airport and it's it's you got trash, you got landfill and you got recycle and you're like, "Wait, what?"
1: <laughs> um mm.
0: and so because of that that sort of momentary confusion, it's just it's just hard to get really good sorting. So um those are a couple of the big reasons. Our v- vision is look nature does it a totally different way, which is everything that, that is food or touches food can can biologically degrade. Wouldn't that be a lot easier for people where you had one trash can and everything degraded? Um, and with air carbon, what we can do is we can take that, it can, it can digest in, in, in an anaerobic digester, turn back into greenhouse gas, and then we can use that to make more product. And effectively, that's a little tiny microcosm, again, of what nature does. And so we think that, there, this material affords a, a totally different path for recycling that we hope solves some of those core issues. One of which just being the confusion and ease, or or, or not ease around around the current pathway.
1: Yeah, completely. As you were speaking, I was thinking, well, yeah, I suppose if we can replace plastic, all plastics, all the like you say, all these different kinds of plastics, with your product, then everything can just go back into the anaerobic digester, you know, everything goes into the compost along with food waste and then you use that to make more product, right?
0: Yeah, and it's, it's about making it easy. And I think if we make it yeah. easy, then we can really increase our, our rates. And, and, and that, by the way, is, is a big part of how do we prevent stuff from getting into the environment? You know, a lot of this is because we're transporting in places, we're collecting in places. If we didn't have to do that, then all that opportunity for slippage into the environment goes down. Um, yeah. so it's it start- things
1: fluttering out of like dust carts and yeah. on the way to landfill where you can see birds carrying it off and things like that, that just doesn't happen. And yeah. Yeah.
0: So, so let's, let's, let's address the source and how do we do that? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so we're, we're excited about that now that's going to take many, many years. <laughs> we have no, no illusions about that. Um, but Hey, we've gotta, we've gotta be looking towards solutions.
1: Yeah, completely. And you have the product now. And I think we already know that the system is broken. OK, yeah, we may need to build a new system, but, but you know, the current one isn't isn't working at all. And we've talked about the product being carbon neutral and, you know, maybe like you say, not transporting all this waste and having an an air carbon facility in every town, state or however close it needs to be. Um, would that be something that you would like to see? Would you think you would be car- uh, within a carbon deficit with the company and with the product if it got to that point?
0: Um, we, we, we do think that a regional solution is, is a great one. I mean, imagine if every township had a, a, you know, a digester and that's where all the food waste and anything that touched food, including, you know, air carbon products, uh, you know, went. That, that's a that's a local solution um, that has a lot of benefits. So we really like that.
1: Yeah. And you've touched on leather. What else could this amazing from nature carbon negative uh, product be used for down the line? What's the sort of future for air carbon and new light technologies?
0: Um, you know, it's, it's kind of a blessing and a curse in some way that, it, you know, in its most basic form, it pretty closely resembles polypropylene. Um, so it can just do a whole range of things. We kind of had to take a step back and say, all right, um, we're going to be material limited for the next, a long time. Um, so given that, where can we have the most impact? We looked at the ocean plastics problem and said, in addition to fishing nets, foodwares are kind of like the other, you know, big thing. So that's why we've decided to focus our, you know, our efforts right now on, on trying to address, uh, Food service and, and food related um, products. Outside of that, though, um, you know, we've also been looking at fashion. So, leather's one, fibers is another. Um, we're going to be increasing our, our work in fibers, really trying to attack the micro uh, plastic issue, which is just so sad and so insidious. And when you look more and more into the data, it's just you get a real ick feeling. Um, and this molecule goes away, it can't create microplastics. Um, so it's a really interesting potential, um, solution for that. So, so we're going to be pushing into fashion more and more, um, you know, and then beyond that, there, there are a whole range of other things that we want to do packaging kind of being the next big, big thing to address. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those just massive volume things. Think of all like the satchels in different parts of the world these like single use things for just a little bit of shampoo or ketchup or whatever it is yeah and then they never or soy
1: sauce with your sushi from yeah, yeah yeah and
0: then and then they never go away ever yeah um which is which is crazy so um we're, we're trying to look at it like that which is sort of like all right where, where can we have the most impact and kind of work our way down the list
1: love that fashion was up there because it is it's one of those ones that Uh, Yeah, I've got my guppy bag and all this kind of stuff trying to stop plastic getting into the environment. But when in that sort of realm at the moment, the natural product of cotton also has issues as well. But within the realm of what you've created, there are sort of, there's no bad issues. You know, that cotton's very water intensive and all this kind of stuff. But if it could be made from something like air carbon, then... That wouldn't necessarily be an issue. You wouldn't have the microfiber issue and you could still do something with it like a polyester or what have you.
0: That's the dream. I mean, we're not we're not there yet on fiber. We've still got work to do, um, but we, you know, everything starts with the dream. So um, <laughs> we, we know that well and, and we've been doing this long enough to feel pretty confident that we can have a pretty, you know, a meaningful impact there.
1: Amazing, and we've talked about blockchain um, in terms of cleaning up oceans before. Does blockchain feature in New Light's sort of horizon?
0: Yeah, it really does. Um, our uh, Some of our products right now utilize blockchain. Um, our fashion products, as an example, each one has a blockchain number, um, either uh, UV printed or laser etched onto it. And the reason that we are using blockchain is because when you talk about carbon footprinting especially, it's hard for a consumer to know how to validate those claims. Um, and so about three years ago, we called up IBM and said, Hey, you know, we you know, we, we have this interesting challenge where we want to communicate environmental benefits, but people rightfully have skepticism. So, how how can we work with blockchain to try to solve for that? And so now with, with, with these products, you can take that blockchain number that we have, you put it into our blockchain tracker online. And, and that number will then pop up each one of the production steps that went into the, the product, the time date associated with, you know, when it went from a slurry to a powder and a powder to a molded part and so forth down the line. Mm-hmm. But, but perhaps most importantly also on the blockchain is the third party certification for its carbon footprint. So you can put that in and see specifically what the carbon footprint of that product was and who independently verified it. And that really is something that only blockchain can do um, in terms of really true verifiability. So we are using it and we expect to use it more and more. Um, You know, the the other thing, which is end of life degradability, how do you prevent um, people sort of just making unverified claims? Or hey, mm. we make air carbon too. Well, mm, um, yeah. <laughs> so we're going to be using blockchain more and more to to verify the material, what it is, and then also you know what its impact has been measured to be.
1: That's such a good point. I hadn't thought of that because it looks so much like plastic that you might have to worry about dupes that are not environmentally friendly but yeah god for
0: sure i mean you can measure it yeah you do a FCIR scan an infrared scan and you can see the molecular structure so it, it's easily verifiable but you know
1: for you for,
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, well you have an FCIR, right
1: probably under the bed yeah, yeah. spare room loft something like that yeah they're,
0: they're bulky <laughs> so a lot of people do store them away but uh <laughs> (laughs) (laughs)
1: next to the peloton yeah 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 right yeah well
0: it's good actually (laughs) you know it's like you you do some peloton and and then hit the ftir so
1: (laughs) oh yeah no that's such a good point though i hadn't even considered that um mark i absolutely love this product and you're one of the people this series i was most excited about talking to because i just really feel like this is the future and i just really hope all these new innovations you're working on really work out for you
0: Thank you. Well, we you know we decided a long time ago that we we weren't going to stop and and we're not stopping anytime soon. So um, really appreciate that and I really appreciate everything that you're doing to to bring awareness to this space and um, you know this is a this is a global effort and I am confident we can do it. But that doesn't mean that this thing is you know we still have to do it. So um, a lot of people fighting and 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 you're one of them and um, it's an honor to be with you too.
1: Thank you so much. I I feel really bad about the last two questions I'm going to ask you because we call ourselves the age of plastic because plastic has its place. Hopefully it will be replaced by air carbon. But is there something currently maybe in the research of air carbon that you are glad included plastic? I often say my microphone, although now I'm thinking you could definitely air carbon that.
0: Gosh, I you know I you sent this question beforehand, and I and I it was one of those like look around the room and like I don't know is there something here that I like. Um,
1: <laughs> it's everywhere, but you probably don't like anything, right?
0: Well, you know there were parts of that that good old FTIR, and that machine was like a good friend for like those those first 10 years in fact when
1: was is it an ex ex-friend ex-machine now
0: well we're, we're we've lost touch I don't do as much FTIR action as, <laughs> as I'd like to um but no we're still close like if I were if we were to pick up a conversation like we'd we'd, we'd be right back into it so yeah, oh, yeah I guess like that. the good old FTIR would be my 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 plastic favorite
1: you are going to be unsurprised by this news but that is the first time that someone said that on the podcast <laughs> <laughs> really <Yeah. laughs> I'm at time for your final question which is going to be slightly less awkward um your environmental hero please Mark
0: Uh, you know there's there's so many names that, that come to mind uh this one might be slightly more controversial I and this this is probably because I I've mentioned this to others but I I have a deep love and appreciation for Terminator 2 so um the the, the, <laughs> go, the governor uh is called <laughs> some in, inspiration for me because what he showed was so important uh which is that we can find middle grounds and those middle grounds are the things that scale um so as a republican governor to be so advanced on uh you know a carbon market is so um that, that gives me a lot of hope and and I think he deserves a lot of credit for forging ahead there, helping to make California you know a leader in advancing environmental solutions um, And so I think he's I think he's a a hero in, in in for for the efforts that he put forward in in trying to forge common ground uh, in yeah. the space.
1: I can, I do have to agree with that because I think some people sometimes forget that compromise is where we often get things done. It's not necessarily one idea versus another, it's, it's people, like you say, coming together. So thank you so much. Really really enjoyed this chat. So excited. So glad that you kept with it for 18 years and didn't give up and yeah just thank you so much good luck with everything i hope we speak again and thank you for speaking to me for the age of plastic podcast all right
0: andrea thanks so much i really appreciate it
1: shout out to arnold schwarzenegger this is your official invitation to come on the age of Plastic podcast whenever you feel able i did end up babbling to mark about arnold schwarzenegger's miniature real life horses that he has in his house but i didn't enforce that on you you'll be glad to know i did leave some praise in as well not very british of me but there you have it so appreciative of co-founder and ceo of new light technologies mark Herrimer, for talking all about air carbon thank him that he didn't give up after over a decade of coming up with this material such interesting points from mark as well on how recycling is broken we talk a lot about plastic being a useful material but recycling streams are broken and I know that we all need to change and economies need to change and the world needs to change if we're gonna remain in it, but you kind of have to meet people where they're at. Will this product curb our consumerism, our throwaway single-use items? Possibly not, but surely. Imagine if every single-use plastic item was replaced with this material. I am struggling to find any negatives to that. And we talk so much about bringing everyone with us on the sustainable journey, whatever you want to call it. Decarbonizing the economy means we need to find jobs for people who are currently, I don't know, working in the oil industry. So having something like this as an option, yes, it's a factory. Yes, that requires carbon and energy to be built, but surely these are the kind of jobs we want those skilled workers currently in those industries to be moving into. No doubt you'll want to hear more about air carbon and new light technologies. I will link in the show notes as always. And thanks again to Mark Herrimer. Time for our final eco life hack of the series. This one's come from a mum. She listens in batches, so it could be years before she gets around to hearing this. I have been travelling pretty much zilch in the past 16 months. Things are starting to open up here in the UK. But I am trying to look into my future and think about enjoying travel, but doing it with the lowest impact possible. And that means less flights. Enter Byway. Now, this is branding themselves as the world's first flight-free holiday platform. You try saying that quickly. It's all centred around personalised, slow travel with a minimum carbon footprint. So, if where you are, things are opening up and you are able to travel sensibly, given the quarantines and all the rules that may exist where you are listening right now, check out Byway. I think they're quite Europe-based just at the moment, in case you are listening outside of Europe right now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you've enjoyed the series so far. Coming up on the next series, whatever you want to hear, get in touch. All the details are where you are listening right now. I've got a few exciting interviews lined up for you already. I've got a UN scientist in the bag and I'll be chatting to one of the founders of Pila and Lomi on the next series. Whatever you want me to cover though, as always, the DMs, the emails are open. Until then, wash your hands Get vaccinated if you can, and I'll see you next time on the next series of
0: the Age Plastic podcast.